0: Daily Premier League action and reaction. This is Football Social Daily.
3: Mahrez was the man for Manchester City last night as they swept aside Southampton. 5-2 the score and City back on the winning trail. But like we've seen over and over and over again this season, VAR the biggest talking point. We'll look back across yesterday's Premier League game at the Etihad, as well as going over Liverpool's progression to the Champions League quarter-finals. A 2-0 win over Leipzig for the Reds, is this the catalyst they need for a turnaround in league form? Plus, three of our top flight sides are in Europa League action tonight as the last 16 kicks off. Arsenal and Spurs involved, but the pick of the ties is between two prestigious old clubs as Manchester United take on AC Milan. I'm Niall McCorn and this is Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast with a new show seven days a week, every single day of the season. Alongside me today, it's Marley Anderson. How's it going, Marley? Yeah, mate, not too bad, not too bad. And Callum Tyler is here as well. How are you doing, Callum?
1: Hello, good, thanks.
3: Happy days. Well, I'm sure you'll be doing better than most, seeing as your side won last night. 5-2, victory for Manchester City over Southampton in the only midweek Premier League fixture. Um, A great game which I think some people were saying felt a little bit more like a Football League game than a Premier League game. Seven goals, um, lots of chances, uh, a bit scrappy at times in the middle of the park. Um, A comeback from Southampton very briefly before Manchester City put their foot on the gas again and a dodgy VAR call. And despite the fact there were seven goals in the game, yet again VAR was one of the big talking points. It was a poor tackle from Southampton goalkeeper Alex McCarthy on Phil Foden. Where Foden actually stayed up, despite getting studs to the ankles, uh, rather than go down and try and win a penalty, Um, it was a bit of a a scrambled piece of play, let's just say, which Foden capitalised upon, Uh, and McCarthy made a bit of a hash of trying to get the ball away from the danger zone for Southampton and ended up pretty much standing on Phil Foden's ankle. Although the young City player didn't go down, he decided to stay up uh, and try and chase after the ball, which by this point had kind of squirmed away from goal. He didn't get the decision, despite the fact it was looked at by VAR. There was no penalty given, even though in all the replays it looked pretty much like a stonewall penalty to me. And I imagine the majority of Manchester City fans. So, Callum, on that, your thoughts on the decision, even though you won the game 5-2 in the end, and whether you think that might be why players decide to go down softly, even with technology, because Phil Foden stayed up and the technology hasn't come to his rescue, I suppose.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I saw that said on Twitter by a number of people. You know, part of the part of the mythology around Phil Foden is that because he's English, because he's from Stockport, he's kind of somehow more honest. He's one of ours. We want we want him to be, you know, very English player and play in this honest way that 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 we love so much in this country. And one of the key tenets of that is not to dive and not to try and trick referees and not to try and win yourself, you know, soft decisions. But when you look at that last night and you and when he when he when he was tackled and I was watching it live, in my head I was thinking, go down, go down. That's a a clear penalty if you just trip. You would like to think as well with VAR, when it was brought in, it was brought in because it was going to make, there were going to be less bad decisions. I think all it's done is increase the sense of injustice when there is a bad decision because now people go, well, hang on, multiple people have looked at this and they've still come to the wrong decision. And that's even more outrageous than if it was just one guy who we could almost understand getting it wrong because of the pace of the game and where he's at but there's really no excuse it was it was infuriating and um but you know there's only so outraged you can be when you go and score five
3: (laughs) yeah well I saw one City fan say I don't care if this ends 9-1 or or (laughs) 9-2 I'm still going to be annoyed about the Foden decision and I can understand that because for me it was a penalty. And the line from the officials was that they felt that the man in the middle, the referee, thought that there was a touch from the Southampton goalkeeper ever so slightly. But you've got to look at things like the direction of the ball. Does the ball deviate from the course it was on? And stuff like that. You think that sometimes you need to put common sense into it. But anyway, the decision was, I think, a wrong one. For me, Marley, it feels like fans almost want a sense of justice when it comes to decisions. More than anything, I think City probably feel that... It was a pretty nasty challenge on Foden. I don't think it was malicious, but certainly, you know, a player who's so young and so promising. If you think back to earlier on this season between Liverpool and Everton, where Jordan Pickford put in that awful challenge on Virgil van Dijk, and van Dijk's missed the whole season and the wheels have come off Liverpool's campaign. You know, and van Dijk, one of the best centre-backs in the world, has been sidelined, but yet VAR couldn't get the decision right there. So particularly when a player's fitness is on the line through tackles and decisions that go to VAR and the right decision still isn't made, that feels like it kind of amplifies the frustration, I suppose.
2: Yeah, I mean you mentioned it there, I mean F, um, VAR is meant to come to the right decision whether it's you know in real time or via replay or whatever um, and I, I mean I've lost count of the amount of times that we talk about they are um, on podcasts, and you see it dominating the the punditry after games and before games, and in the lead up to games, and all sorts of stuff because they're just it, they're not getting it right enough. Um, and the one last night, I mean, it it was a stupid like mistake by McCarthy, and then it was an even more ridiculous tackle. I mean, even the percentages like if you'd ne- if you'd never even seen that tackle. How many times does a goalkeeper make a huge mistake like that and then get the and then get the tackle right? Like they always get it wrong. <laughs> how many how many slide tackles a season do goalkeepers do? Like you there's a pretty high chance that he's gonna get that tackle wrong. So you've got to look at it and say you know, he's he's probably nicked his ankle here, because Foden did did go down, he did um hit the floor, and then he got straight back up again and he sort of That was probably his detriment. I don't know whether I like, I don't I don't think he would have got the penalty if he'd have stayed down because they still would have come to the same conclusion because they were still looking at the, still looking at the replays and still coming to the wrong decisions in in pretty much everyone's opinion. So um, I don't think it would have changed the outcome too much. I just think they got the outcome completely wrong, um, regardless of, of what Foden did. But I mean, it was a clear, clear penalty. I don't think I don't know how a team of ind- individuals can look at that and every one of them say, yeah, I, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not a clear and obvious error because. It very much was, but luckily no damage was done and City still managed to uh, to ease away from
3: Southampton and put five goals in, so yeah. fair enough. For me though, I think that on that, and you say that you know, there's so many camera angles now that they can look at and they still make the decision incorrect. Um, it's just, if Foden had got injured because of that last night and McCarthy wasn't punished for it, I think that would have annoyed City fans and probably the wider Premier League community more than whether if Man City didn't win the game as a result of a dodgy decision. I don't know what your take is on that, Callum. Particularly someone who's as promising and as up-and-coming as Phil Foden, that he's kind of been shafted, for want of a better expression.
1: Yeah, uh, you definitely feel protective of your players, especially when they're they're still his age. For me, though, I think the thing i always think um which is you know it this decision doesn't matter in the context of a game at home against southampton but if this is the kind of decision they're capable of making uh, when it's the champions league semi-final when it's the game to win the league when it's an fa cup final like we've had bad decisions in those games as well and it just as soo- as as soon as this happens to, mm. to man city i always think oh god imagine if they did this again you know, they probably will do this again like they did in games, you know, that Tottenham game that I've never gotten over um, in the yeah. Champions League. But it just it just yeah. makes you think, like, the context of the game almost shouldn't shouldn't matter. The decision should be made correctly. And if they can't get it right every time, then that means there's a really high risk that they get it wrong when it, when something really is riding on the game.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And it's <clears> a shame <throat> that in a game which has had seven goals and City have won 5-2 that we're speaking about VAR, but mm. they don't make it any easier for us or themselves, do they? If they no. keep making these mistakes, we're going to keep talking about them.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I think, I wonder if, if the sort of um, public opinion is really swinging against VAR. I think they've got to look at how they, at least how they execute it for next season. But then they've changed it again before every season since we got it. So it's, it's clearly not Right, um, but I mean, I'd love to get rid of it. I uh, up in Scotland as well, there's a slightly different take on this because the Scottish leagues are considering bringing it in, and there's like everyone seeing what's happening in Europe and in England, and, and really, really don't want it. And um, you can see why.
3: <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. And um, I think that there are other countries, sort of within the UEFA conglomerate, let's just say, that have kind of adapted their rules accordingly. I think in the Netherlands, they have with the offside lines, they have if they're touching. Um, then it's pretty much level and the goal should stand. You know, they're not drawing out from armpits and kneecaps and nose hairs and all the rest of it. So I definitely think there should be some adjustments and I think it's something we've been banging on about here on Football Social Daily for absolutely ages. So let's talk about the actual football. Riyad Mahrez, absolutely outstanding last night for, for Manchester City. Two goals, 40th and 55th minute respectively. Both of them very, very similar. Um, cutting in, shooting with his left foot, finding the back of the net. Um he seems to do this a lot, Marley. He scored some important goals for Manchester City over the last couple of years that he's been at the club at important times as well. However, some people rate don't really rate him that much. I mean, I was speaking to someone last night who said they thought he was the most overrated player in the Premier League. There are a few question marks about how he integrated into the Guardiola style of play. What are your thoughts on his value to the City squad and, and what he offers?
2: Uh, I think... I can understand why he he sort of isn't the most popular, especially with Man City fans. I think a lot of them, when he has a bad game, he's easy to criticise because he's kind of the one who doesn't uh, doesn't fully fit the philosophy, I don't think, um, at Man City. But that's kind of good in a way. It kind of makes him more of a threat because... Is the one that will, you know, shoot from range. Is, is the one who will dribble when there's a pass on. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. But um, I think Man City fans are especially used to, you know, passing it um, and sort of getting to the byline and, and cutting it back. And sometimes when it goes to Mares, sometimes he comes inside too much and tries to curl a shot into the far corner. And sometimes it doesn't work, but he gets probably 10 goals a season by cutting inside and bending one in the far corner. Um... So he is is Mm. still really, really good. I think he's improving um, what I've not seen many people praise uh, the impact of his right foot. I think his right foot is coming on really, really well now. Um, And you've seen him score a goal Mm. on his right foot last night and you've seen him a couple of weeks ago for, um, uh, was it against Wolves, when he put the cross in for Dendonka to put it into his own goal when Sterling was waiting. That was a a right foot cross, um, like first time out of the air, absolutely brilliant. And he couldn't have done that a few years ago. When he was at Leicester or when he was in the first year at Man City, because he was his right foot was purely for standing on. Um, but he's um, yeah. he's he's coming along. He's he's improving. I think his his first touch is. I don't think there's a better first touch in the Premier League. Um, is absolute glue to that first touch. He's fantastic uh, control of the ball. But yeah, probably needs to. Um, I don't know. Probably I don't know what he needs to do to improve. I think he's just he's, it's almost like his cards marked so when man city don't win they're like oh well, we need a better we need someone better than mares and it's like well you know he's mm. he's good enough to to beat he's good enough to get in the team when you're beating all these teams around the around the country and you're winning 21 games in a row but then you lose maybe one game at the weekend and you're thinking mm. you know, oh is is mares the the man i think he he is most of the time so you know i think with the options van city have got it's not as if you desperately need to go out and sign another right winger to replace him because
1: he's still a quality player and uh, got a role to play in that squad mm. i think it's um i think it's work ethic in terms of what fans can see and that, that, that's not me saying that he doesn't work hard i think he obviously does he's at that level but i think when you look at the other players around him there's a real like industry to those city players and they kind of just would run through walls and sometimes with mahrez you know he doesn't always track back he, he just looks a little bit kind of like today's going on the ball, he's just a little bit, I don't want to say lazy, but I think other City fans would say that he, he comes across that way. Um, if they want to disabuse themselves of that notion, just look at the stats. He's our second highest goal scorer this season and he's created loads of chances and loads of assists. So mm. he feels like a bit of a luxury player, but he is he's an effective player, um, at least I would say.
3: Yeah, someone I was speaking to compared him to Coutinho for Liverpool a couple of seasons ago where... I don't know if you remember, Coutinho always used to kind of cut in from the left and try and curl balls into the far post with his right foot. And it feels like with Riyad Mahrez, he does very, very similar, kind of cuts Mm. in, tries to shift the angle onto his left and bend a shot into the corner of which one of the goals was like that last night. And, you know, you know his main weapon. But sometimes it's difficult to stop. And I think that is the sign of a good player that they can still somehow manage to find a way to operate at what they're good at, even when the odds are against them. Um, I thought he was excellent last night, actually, Riyad Mahrez. Um, Two players missed penalties in the Champions League this week. One of them was Lionel Messi and the other one was Erling Haaland. So a lot of people saying that get those two players down to the Etihad because uh, (laughs) Manchester City know what it's like to miss penalties. We were speaking about it on yesterday's show, Callum, about uh, signing a new striker for Manchester City and whether they really do need one um, to kind of convert their chances. We referenced a great article from Sam Lee in The Athletic about Mm. how City have created bucket loads of chances, but their chance conversion is down in the bottom half of the Premier League table. I think 13th they are in terms of converting those big chances into goals. So with Aguero injured and probably not going to be firing on all cylinders for the foreseeable future when they do sign a striker to replace him, they, it needs to be someone who is able to convert chances. Um, if that is the case, and they do bring someone in like Haaland, for example, they will be hoping that that person can, you know, take that penalty responsibility on their shoulders and break that stigma that Man City have of missing penalties all the time.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I think the striker thing has kind of become the missing piece of the jigsaw, if if there is even a missing piece when you look at how the team are performing. It's quite remarkable, actually, how many lineups you could look at this season where Pep has put out the team. They've won the game and there's not been a recognised striker on the pitch. And that's it's fallen to Raheem or it's fallen to De Bruyne. You know, Gundogan is our top scorer in the league this season. Um, and, and Jesus, mm. and I've been critical of Jesus as well, he's, he's definitely someone... I would keep but probably more in kind of a, a rotational system although his stats as well are excellent in terms of how many goals he gets per game but he does also look quite wasteful sometimes so yeah I'd, I mean yeah I'd love I'd love Haaland I'd love Mbappe I'd love João Felix and all these other names that are getting mentioned mm-hmm. um, and it, it does feel that, that that would be the moment where they would become you know completely unstoppable but equally you know, if you look back in, in Guardiola's career, sometimes a big name striker has been the thing that's kind of um, rocked the boat a little bit. I think Wilfried Bonny? yeah, Wilf Bonny, Zlatan <laughs> at Barcelona was the one I was thinking of, of course, um, of course. And and I think you know it's this is the way he plays almost doesn't rely on a striker. So yeah. I, I, maybe maybe there's an argument not to not to try and force one hmm. one in.
3: Well. On Tuesday's podcast, when we were previewing this game, Stefan said that he saw Ferran Torres play in the, I think, UEFA Mm. Euro Under-19 tournament or something like that um, for Spain. And he said he played through the middle then and looked really, really good. And we've seen Torres do that a couple of times this season. So I guess the the beauty of having so many quality attacking players, Callum, is that you can probably just trial and error a few players down the middle and see how it goes.
1: Absolutely. And, And Torres has been phenomenal. Did he not score like two goals for Spain against, was it Germany? Um, earlier this year as well he's he's, he Mm. he he looks like he has the making of a striker if that's if that's where they focus his energy from now on
3: yeah I mean you look at Mikhail Antonio at West Ham who is naturally a winger and they've put him through the center and he's not really looked back since Mm. then has he Mm -hmm. Um, not the same bracket in terms of quality by any stretch but certainly in terms of being able to adapt to a new position Um, on the penalty thing Marley Haaland and Messi, two of the best players on planet Earth. I mean, if they can miss penalties, anyone can. Surely,
2: <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it doesn't matter whether you're uh, how good you are. You know, it's um, it's missable. I mean, keepers do so much research now. There's so many more penalties mm. in the game with with VAR and all the rest of it. Then um, you know, there's it's going to get harder and it's going to get uh, more difficult to. You know, uh, predict where the goalkeeper is going to dive and where the striker is going to go becomes a little bit easier for everyone So, yeah, but Haaland and Messi definitely prove that they know, know what it's like to uh, play for Man City by missing penalties in the week so they'll fit <laughs> right in if they ever do come to Man City
3: I really do wonder what will happen in this summer transfer window. Whether we'll see Manchester City break their record transfer spend on bringing a big-name forward player to the club. It certainly feels, as Callum says, that maybe that might be the missing piece of the jigsaw right now for City. Even though it looks like they're going to romp to the league title, particularly when you gift them goals like Southampton did last night. They made mistakes. You cannot do that against a side like Manchester City, and as such with their five goals conceded last night. Southampton have conceded more goals in Manchester this season than Manchester City have throughout the entirety of the (laughs) campaign in general in all of their Premier League games. Is it a case of just limping to the end of the season now, Marley, for Southampton and starting again because it feels like their season is completely deflated of any sort of momentum I think they're probably too far ahead to get sucked into a relegation scrap although you never know with nine games to go but still they're not going to get in the top half really are they and they're not going to finish in the relegation places so it feels to me just a case of getting to the summer and trying to reset
2: yeah probably um, it started off so well for Southampton didn't it and they were they were dreaming uh, at one point and you know obviously went to the top of the league and did that t-shirt thing and it's all been tits up from there really Um <laughs> But yeah, it's um, oh, yep. oh, yeah, just get to the end of the season put this one behind you because you know the the thing they've got is is you know they they have stitched together probably four four months first four months of the season that was really very good and something to build on. Um yeah, then they've got then they've gone backwards fair enough, but it's a positive that they've at least got to you know, a level where they were in the top eight for quite a long part of the first part of the season. So it's something it's mm-hmm. just something to build on and then we'll see what they can do in the summer because they need they need more players. They've been badly hit by injuries this season, which is a big part of their um their recent losing run. I think they lost nine of the last ten games, something like that now. So um yeah, yeah they need they need more quality all, all over the pitch really. They need to um they probably need another striker to go with Ings and Adams, even though you know, Ings might leave in the summer, so you might need two. Um, and then I think I still think they need a goalkeeper. I don't think Alex McCarthy's very good. I don't know why. I don't know what Fraser
3: Forster has to do to get more of a game. I think he's he's a much better goalkeeper. I don't know if you remember this, Marty, whether you were on this show or not, but Jim said uh, before Christmas that should Gareth Southgate be looking at Alex McCarthy for the England. <laughs> squad <laughs> and I just laughed him off Um nah just well in the fact that he's English and he's a goalkeeper maybe but no
2: <laughs> other than that no I'm not I'm not having that he's not he's not good enough is he he's never been good enough no. um, like I mean people were talking about Carl Darlow being in the England squad when he was in the Newcastle team he's not even the best goalie at Newcastle but you know mm. it's nah not, not for me McCarthy Um but there is a small pool of English goalkeepers so you know the the pickings aren't exactly rich so that's probably where I come from more than anything I think there was even a rumour a couple of about a month six weeks ago maybe of um, Robert Sanchez at uh, Brighton being brought being um, called up by England and they were talking about um, looking at his, uh, his heritage and stuff and whether they were allowed to do it because he's been in England since he was 15 or 16 and on the repatriation thing, they can apparently call him up, even though he was born and raised in Spain. He's never been <laughs> capped at any level by um, by Spain. So England were looking at him, and I was thinking, like, if this is the standard, he's not done anything <laughs> special as he at Brighton. Come on. I mean, no, he's just a goalkeeper that's got in the team, and England are like, oh, goalkeeper, <laughs>
3: where's he from? Spain. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, uh, you know, well. We'll we'll try and bend those rules a little bit. It's crazy. It's like the English cricket team where pretty much every player for a period was either born overseas or (laughs) raised overseas and had like an English grandmother or grandparent, so you like Kevin Peterson Andrew Strauss Matt Pryor I mean Ben Stokes Even was born Ben's, in New Zealand yeah, Ben Stokes is New Sorry. Zealand yeah is, is yeah, Owen is, Morgan not Irish he is yeah he's from Dublin but <laughs> I, think his, I think his mother's English so I think he gets away with that one a little bit um, but still it's like when Gibraltar became a national team and everyone was like scouring through their family tree oh, to try yeah. and figure out whether they can get a stab at international football I remember
2: football. Uh, when when they first became uh, their own sort of FIFA recognised
3: country Danny Higginbottom was he looking did, yeah. at was like I'm Gibraltar. <laughs> so, all, right, all right then Danny I'm not sure you will get in the team. I think he did you know I think he made a couple of caps for Gibraltar honestly. I think he did <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Manchester City five Southampton two last night Saints goals from James Ward Prowse from the penalty spot and Che Adams but a double from De Bruyne a double from Mares, another goal for Ilkay Gundogan and two assists from Phil Foden to ensure Manchester City remain back on the winning trail and top of the Premier League with a five goal to two victory At the Etihad, Liverpool also won last night, but it wasn't in the Premier League. It was Champions League action for them. They're through to the quarterfinals. We'll talk about their game against RB Leipzig after this here on Football Social Daily.
0: Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates, and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social.
3: Welcome back to Football Social Daily, the podcast from Sports Social with a new episode regarding Premier League news views and opinions every single day of the football season. We are part of the UK's only dedicated sports podcast network. The Sports Social Podcast Network has launched and you can be a part of it too. If you create, generate, produce, host your own sport podcast and you fancy joining our stable, come and check it out. Sport-social.co.uk is the website for a little bit more information. Absolutely zero hosting fees, which is obviously... A great benefit and uh, will help you grow your podcast too. So come and get involved and hopefully catch you soon here on Sports Social. Time to talk Liverpool in the Champions League now. They took on RB Leipzig last night in the last 16 of the competition. They won 2-0 in the Pushkas Arena in Hungary, which means it was a 4-0 aggregate score there through to the quarterfinals. But Callum, Liverpool missed so Many chances. It finished 2 0 and 4 0 on aggregate, but probably even last night alone could have finished 4 or 5 0 in Liverpool's favour then.
1: Definitely. I mean. <sighs> I'll be honest I watched the PSG Barcelona game but then I caught up for this um, like a professional um, and yeah it's just it was just an absolute parade of ridiculous chances missed um, by Liverpool I would say the the Leipzig goalkeeper was on form made a couple of good saves um, you say it's a confidence thing I think the the prime example of that was the one that fell to um, Salah and then fell to Mane and he sort of tried to header it into the ground and I think, I think Mane from last year just puts his foot through that or diving head is that into the top corner I think there's there's definitely a confidence thing not really surprised to be honest given how mm. they're playing um, but at the same time they'll be pleased you know Leipzig are a hard team to beat they gave Man United a really good game um, sort of last year I think in the group stage was it and they they, you know the way Nagelsmann sets them up they're pretty sound defensively and they can be dangerous on the attack so they Liverpool have sailed through it which is mm. unusual for them at the moment
3: I think with the way that RB Leipzig performed last night, Manchester United might have been kicking themselves that they didn't get through that group mm. because um, you know the group that they were in with Istanbul, Bashaksha here, Leipzig, and PSG. I mean, with the way I, I thought, I didn't think RB Leipzig were up to much last night. I thought they were really underwhelming. Mm. Um, maybe that's due to the fact, fact that Liverpool were much better going forward. Diogo Jota, he's been involved again lately. Marley obviously had a bit of a long layoff with a knee injury. How much of a boost is that, that now they aren't just relying on that forward three, uh, of which have been misfiring lately? They've got someone fresh now off the back of an injury to come in and, and try and shake things up again going forward.
2: I think um, I think Jota's going to be an, a massively underrated part of the Liverpool team coming back in. Because if you remember at the start yeah. of the season, I think, did he get like seven or eight goals in his first five games or mm. something like that? He, he was unbelievable. Yeah he was the main... he looked really good didn't he yeah, he was the main striker he was um he was banging goals in left right and center and i think him him coming back is is a massive boost and it can sort of offset the um the type of form they've they've been you know turning in lately they've been they've been poor they've looked you know not creating chances not taking chances when they come and i think you know just to last night it was a bit of a weird game because it was wide open it could have ended 6-4 to either team to be honest but um, the one thing that Liverpool did look is fluid and they were creating chances um, you know taking them was, was obviously an issue but as long as you're creating them I don't think there's that much of a of an issue and I think Jota was a big part of that I think his um, the in, his involvement for Salah's first goal was, was excellent when he he slipped it through towards um, was it Mane and then Salah ran onto it um, and put it in the bottom corner and I think that just brings back what Jota brings to the team I think he's He's a nuisance all over the pitch and he carries more of a goal threat than Firmino, I think, especially this season. You know, Firmino tends to get, you know, ten goals a season kind of thing. For a centre forward that can always be improved on. I know Firmino does a lot of other things for the Liverpool team and that's fine, but you know, ultimately your strikers are in there to score goals and if you've if you're relying on your wingers like Liverpool have for, for two, three, four years now, and they're not scoring like they haven't been in recent weeks, you need someone to come in um and, and provide more of a goal threat and I think Jota will do that and you seen him last night he could have he could have had a couple of goals. He looked, did look a little bit rusty. I mean he missed um he missed a pretty simple one where it came back off the goalkeeper I think and he put it in the side netting but mm-hmm. I think um he'll come back into the team and there's probably even a, a system uh Klopp can maybe look at where he can get all four of them in the um yeah. in the team if you play maybe a four two three one and you play Firmino as a attacking midfielder like he always did under mm-hmm. um when he was at Hoffenheim played Joshua as the centre forward and then you have your two lads on the wings Mane and Salah I think you know mm. changing things up can maybe bring them a bit more success in the future but definitely Jota coming back in is is a massive boost for them
3: yeah you have to say that it's a, a confidence thing because you can understand Diogo Jota being out for ages and missing a couple of chances but Salah missed some guilt-edged mm. chances last night and you just wonder how many goals he would have scored this season if he had actually taken (laughs) all of his chances. Um, Anyway, what about the opposition last night, RB Leipzig? I've already kind of played them down a little bit and said I didn't think they were up to much. I was keeping a close eye where I could on Upa Upamecano because obviously there are so many rumours about him coming to the Premier League and leaving RB Leipzig. He signed a a new deal and and all of the stuff like that. I think he's going to end up going to Bayern Munich. But I I thought Mm -hmm. he looked shaky last night in actually in earnest what watching some of his performances and some of his movements he looked a little bit wooden to me um do you think that from what we've seen of him at least from what premier league audience have seen seen from him that he might end up in the premier league at some point down the line callum
1: he's got the he's got the kind of the build and a lot of the qualities that premier league teams sort of traditionally look for in defenders and i can totally see why he's he's on teams radar i think Bayern, you know, he's, he's signing for Bayern now, the 1st of July, I think it is. So, what we saw last night was a man working his notice and very much phoning it in, mm-hmm. um, as we've all done, I'm sure. Um, so, I, I kind of maybe we can give him, forgive him for that. But I think um, Bayern will be obviously the real test whether he can do it at that level there's only a few points separating the two teams at the top of the Bundesliga um, he wasn't that good last night I've never really been that convinced by him either but I've probably not seen enough of him um, mm. and not seen enough of him against really top quality attacks which this Liverpool one despite its form still still is um, yeah I don't know it's, it's, hard, it's, hard, to, it's hard to say um, mm. Bayern obviously don't sign bad players no. um, so it'll be interesting to see I think we'll see a lot more of him as an English audience when he's at Bayern
3: yeah 100% and I'll be keeping an eye on how he does at Bayern Munich because there has been plenty of rumours around him coming to Liverpool, Manchester United, Manchester City. He seems to have been linked with every single top Premier League club so I'm quite glad that he's going to Bayern actually because that will put an end to the rumours but I wouldn't be surprised to see him in England at some point in the future. What about Julian Nagelsmann then? Apart from the fact it takes him three hours to pick an outfit before every game, it almost feels like (laughs) with the reputation he's built around his style of coaching and the philosophy he has and the work he's done with... RB Leipzig and getting them to be a top hitter in the Bundesliga, Mali. It feels like he's almost destined to be a Premier League coach at some point in the future as well. Yeah, definitely.
2: I think he'll he'll definitely come to the Premier League at some point. I think his his reputation is too big, and the money and the prestige in the Premier League is too much to never see him come to the uh, to the Premier League. But I don't know who with. Um, I can see him at Man United. Um, I
1: could Spurs see, when that when that all goes tits up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I could.
2: I could see him anywhere. To be honest, I don't think there's a team that I wouldn't put him at. I could see him. I could see him at Liverpool if if Gerard never. Well, Gerard's a shoe in for the next job whenever Klopp leaves. But you know, I could see him there one one year, and it's um, it's something that just seems inevitable. I don't know when it'll happen, but I think it will happen. Um, but yeah, he's um, he he seems a top manager. I've heard, I've read lots of um articles in the past about his um. His training and his meticulous planning of, of tactics and things like that and here's me looking on with Envy at a manager managing with tactics and then watching Newcastle at the weekend lump it forward towards Dwight Gill and uh, Joel Linton and watching them do NAF with it it's kind of a it's a would be a lovely problem to have to get the tactics um I wonder if he ever gets the balance wrong.
3: Well, like Steve Bruce. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's, uh,
2: yeah, like it's Steve Bruce, yeah. But, yeah, no, Nagelsmann, he's, he's, he looks a top manager. He's, he's got that reputation. I think Leipzig, as good as they might look sometimes, I don't think they've got what it takes to um, to match his ambitions and go and win a Bundesliga and go and win a, a Europa League or a, or a Champions League. So I think the time will come where Nagelsmann will probably think, I've took this team as far as I can. Um, mm-hmm. Look, I mean, look what's happened in the summer. Up is one of the best defenders, uh, probably the best defender in their history, um, and he's just he's buggering off to a, a team mm. one or two places higher than them in the in the Bundesliga. So. They can only yeah, they're be... not very
3: well respected. Leipzig, are they in no. German football circles? You know, in the Bundesliga, they're almost like the Bundesliga version of MK Dons. No <laughs> one likes them. They're like an artificial club um, yeah. with very, very little history. And obviously, the RB. Everyone knows that even though it doesn't technically stand for Red Bull, they are bankrolled by Red Bull in a in a in a sense. So, mm-hmm. um, they are kind of a commercial club. Um, I I feel that. You know, Julian Nagelsmann is going to end up a coach at PSG. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. It feels very similar to the Thomas Tuchel thing, um, that he's just going to end up there. Uh, whether that is the case or not remains to be seen. Anyway, Julian Nagelsmann, his side are out. They lost 4-0 on aggregate to Liverpool. So Liverpool now through to the quarterfinals, Callum. No Juventus, no Barcelona in the competition. Both of those sides knocked out the last 16. Liverpool couldn't,
1: could they? They couldn't go on and win a seventh. They definitely could. It's the it's their competition. It's uh, they do seem to raise, be able to raise their game um, in the in Europe when they can't necessarily do that against teams like Fulham. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I as a City fan would absolutely hate to meet them in in this competition because you just know what that means and what that brings and how up for it they'll be. Um, mm. And yeah, Barcelona and Juventus, the two you know great players, greatest ever players. Both out of the competition, it's it's almost anyone's. I'm just looking at the draw now. So, if it's not Liverpool, it's kind of just leaves what City, Dortmund, or Bayern really, Chelsea, Madrid. Um, mm. So yeah, it's, it's kind of anyone's for the taking from that lot.
3: Yeah, don't rule out Porto as well. They'll be fancying themselves (laughs) after their win against Juventus. Um, Obviously, last night, Liverpool got themselves through to the quarterfinals. Callum rightly says, still some big teams in the competition. And two big teams that probably should be in the Champions League, but aren't, uh, Manchester United and AC Milan. They do battle in the last 16 of the Europa League tonight. We'll talk about that game next here on Football Social Daily.
0: Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. the latest premier league news for your team just ask open sport social
3: welcome back to football social daily time to talk europa league action now because of course three premier league sides involved tonight in the competition it's the last 16 stage of the europa league and probably the pick of the ties all of the ties involving all of the european sides is between manchester united and ac milan I think, Marley, United probably couldn't have got a much tougher tie. But as the old cliche goes, if you're going to win a competition, you're going to have to beat the best. And of the bunch of Europa League teams that are still left in the competition, undoubtedly AC Milan are one of the best.
2: Yeah, it, um, it certainly looks that way. And, you know, the, as the cliche goes, you'd rather, you know, you've got to beat everyone at some point. I still think you'd rather get, you know, Mold or or, or Dinamo Zagreb <laughs> or, or someone. Um in the or young boys in the uh, in the last sixteen, but yeah, you've got to beat everyone. I think this, mm. I think pretty much everyone wanted this one to be the final, didn't they? You know, Man United, AC Milan would probably be the biggest uh, game. I expect
3: UEFA probably did as well. Yeah, UEFA, yeah,
2: definitely. Um, but as it stands, you know, one of them's got to go out tonight, and I think Milan have dropped off massively in the um, in the Italian league. Um, I think they were leading it for a long stage. Um, in the early part, but I think now they're six points I think behind Inter um, so they're not in the best of form recently and they've dropped off a little bit too much as you know, more than they'd like but they're still a quality side they've still got some good good players and Zlatan Ibrahimovic will be right up for it um, against his old team and you know he's, he never he never needs an excuse to take a headline um, and he'll be fancying it tonight against uh, against Man United and he'll fancy um, sort of Putting one over on his on his former team, I suppose. But we'll we'll see if he can do it. But I mean, it's kind of two teams that used to be Europe's elite and now they've kind of been overtaken a little bit and not quite as um, as powerful as they once were, but it's still, you know, it's like almost watching two two heavyweights that are past the best. Um like you <laughs> remember that um charity? event not, not charity event that sort of exhibition bout a few months ago like late last year when it was Mike Tyson versus Roy Jones like you still you still you know the the past the best but you still want to see it so you know people will still be tuning in tonight at six o'clock watching Man United versus AC Milan because it's been it would have been so good in the past it's still going to be half decent tonight so yeah we'll see see what happens
3: I think I'll be more fair and go for Tyson versus Lennox Lewis in 2002 when both of them were aging but it was still a brilliant (laughs) slugfest i remember i think that was the first boxing match i ever remember watching live and uh, lennox lewis knocked mike tyson out and i remember tyson kind of lying on the canvas with blood pouring out of his nose and a big fat black eye um i just remember that boxing match so so clearly and, and lennox Uh, Having his gloves raised at the end, um, I wonder whether it will be that intense between United and AC Milan uh, tonight. i tell you what has been intense is the media speculation surrounding Edinson Cavani, Callum. He's only just arrived at the club, yet there's been rumours and reports from his own dad suggesting that he wants to go back to South America and he's fed up with football in Europe. How do you think that's been received by... Fans of Manchester United, fans of Cavani, and do you buy it? Because we've seen this with players before where their dads come out and make comments and speaking to local media and radio stations. And so often that can you know, add a bit of fuel to what wasn't really a fire in the first place.
1: Well, Cavani is due to start uh, contract talks with United, I think, in the coming weeks. So there's a really good chance that this is just some... You know, um, positioning from his from his dad. I don't sure. I, I don't know how embedded his dad is in his kind of representation. You know, that's pretty common, especially with South American players. It's a it's a brother or a father that's usually the agent as well. Yeah. Um. I think his brother's his agent. Right. So it's it's kind of a family affair for him as well. I mean, yeah. Th- you know that whether you buy it or not is kind of up to you. I think. I think. I do have a degree of sympathy for players, especially ones that move to another country where they don't speak the language during like during a pandemic when they can't really socialize <laughs> and, and see people, you know, I, I moved, not really country, I moved from Scotland to England during the pandemic and, and it's not it's not really, it's really hard to sort of put down roots, meet people, do all that and, and that does apply to footballers as well, even though they have all the money and also I've been reading as well, like Cavani, I think, when he was trying to settle he had the FA racism charge and without getting into that I think that was one that did seem like a genuine misunderstanding on on his point of view yeah. and I think he felt quite unfairly targeted by that and I think it's it, it I think there could be something to it and, and do you know what I, I wouldn't I wouldn't hold it against him it's it's a ridiculous year to move from to to move to England when you when you don't even really speak the language you know
3: Obviously, a one-year contract is what he signed in the summer Mm. after leaving PSG on a free transfer. So you're right, Callum, those contract talks for any possible extension for Edinson Cavani will need to take place soon. It was, uh, I think it was at Boca Juniors or something like that. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what club it was yeah, that he Boca. was kind of linked with. Yeah, to go back to in, in South America. I mean, if living in rainy Paris isn't enough for, for five, six years, then moving to Manchester isn't really <laughs> <laughs> much better. Um, and like you say, yeah, moving to a new country and a new culture during a lockdown uh, must be so, so tough. I still think he's got a big part to play for Manchester United, though, Marley. I don't know what your take is on it. I still don't think we've seen the best of him, but we have seen it in flashes that he can drag United through a game I think I remember the game against Southampton where they came back from a couple of goals behind to win 3-2 and Cavani scored a couple of those goals a couple of really important headers and he's obviously played for PSG at the very top level I mean PSG reached the Champions League final last year I know this is Europa League but this is a man who up front has got experience playing in the top level in Europe
2: yeah I think um, he's definitely got a role to play I think big games call for big game players and he's certainly one of them, he's been around you know for 10 years at the top level, maybe more, um, scored hundreds of goals um, and he's still by far for me the best centre forward Man United have got he's clear of Martial by some distance in my opinion um, and I think that's probably one of the things why he's thinking about going back to uh, back back to South America because he's not, when he's been fit he's not started ahead of Martial, he's been used as sort of an impact sub and I think after being first-choice striker for PSG for five or six years or whatever it was, um, and then at Napoli the, year, the you know, the years before that, I think he feels like he's got more to offer, and I certainly agree with him. I think his his goal record, um, his goal ratio, for example, have been much better than Martial, and you should be saying, you know, if I'm fit, why am I not playing ahead of him? Because I think Man United has almost resigned to trying to make Martial work because they made such a big investment on him years ago um but realistically he's he's not a center forward and Cavani is everything you need from a center forward he's got the experience he scores goals scrappy goals and goals that only center forwards get um and martial tends to score pretty goals and you know the odd tapping and things like that and um it's not he's not they're not the same type of player and i don't think they're the same caliber and even though um cavani's 33 34. Um, he's still Mm. got more to offer I I think than than Martial and I I mean I think he he might be injured tonight Cavani but you know he's certainly got a role to play, he knows Italian football, he's played against AC Milan a lot over the years for Napoli and for uh, PSG in Europe and things like that so he knows what it takes to to take a big game by the scruff of the neck and settle it and uh, I think he would be a bit of a a big miss for uh, Man United Mm. tonight
3: memories from these two sets of fans about the 2007 Champions League semi-final between them (laughs) in which of course Milan went on to win the tournament and the year later uh, Manchester United went on to win against Chelsea didn't they in 2008 so yeah it's certainly a big game and one that I think um should hopefully heighten the anticipation for this season's Europa League. I think this will be one that plenty of people will be watching. More people will be watching United versus AC Milan than they will Olympiacos against Arsenal, I'm pretty sure. Um, Emil Smith-Rowe, he's been impressive for Arsenal this season, Callum. He's been injured though, or at least he was uh, a doubt for this game, but he could be fit. How important do you think he's been? Because we've mentioned before on the show about how some of these younger players that Arteta has brought in from Arsenal, uh, for Arsenal, have been really effective.
1: It's it's strange how they've started to rely on them so much, and I think it's. That's a good thing and a bad thing. It's a good thing that they've got the production line there to bring these players through, and that they kind of arrive first team ready and they can actually make a make a real impact in games for Arsenal. And then the, the flip side of that, obviously, is should you should you ha- have to you know rely on twenty year old academy graduates to quite this extent, you know, when, especially when some of the players that they've been paying ridiculous salaries to have been there. Emil Smith has been phenomenal every time I've seen him play. He looks they all they always seem to play all these Arsenal young players. Saka is the same. Um, they seem to play like uh, as, if, as if they're not that age. They seem to play as if they're like 25, 26. five, twenty six. They've got really mature heads on, on their shoulder. I know. Uh, is it Martin Tyler likes to call him the Croydon De Bruyne, um, and he he sort of has a lot of the same qualities in terms of he, he he's very confident on the ball. He runs the game. He knows what he wants to do with it, um, and he he has been excellent every time I've seen him.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Arsenal got knocked out by Olympiakos in last season's Europa League, Mali. So, do you think there'll be a little bit of retribution? Do you think Arteta will be looking to get one back over the Greek side, or is it water under the bridge now, a season on?
2: Uh, definitely. I think the one thing I've seen on social media from from Arsenal fans is, oh, no, it's Olympiakos because they tend to be a bit <laughs> of a. I don't know if you can have a European bogey team. I suppose you can, but um, they, they're certainly a bit fearful that they're going to get turned over again. I think. Um, I don't think they will. I think I think they'll they'll get past them. I think the likes of you know beating Benfica in the last round um, will serve as as good experience, like almost a good warm up. Um, it's not like you've came through. I think they had a really easy group, so it's not like you've you've um, not played anyone at all uh, throughout the course of it. You know, I think Benfica is a nice little training. Um, sort of experience to then go and take on Olympiacos because you're not likely to get caught cold and I think Arsenal have to try and win this competition because the league isn't looking the best for them right now um, and I think you've got to try and take your chances while you're in it and you've got, we talked about Man United and AC Milan before, one of them's going out tonight so the competition's going to open up a little bit more if you can get to you know, if you can get through to the next round and you get someone like uh, I don't know Zagreb or or young boys, like I said before, or Mulder Mold- playing Granada. I mean, tonight Arsenal will fancy the winner of that quite quite comfortably if they can get past um, if they can get past uh, Olympiakos tonight. So it it's something that they they have to banish that ghost tonight. And because um, I think they're more, cl- I think they're closer to winning this competition than they they might think. Even though it's the last sixteen, I don't think there's many massive massive teams left in it. Um, And all it takes is two big teams to get each other in the next round. Let's say Man United get past AC Milan and then draw Ajax. I mean, there's another two potential winners taking each other on. So all of a sudden it opens up a lot more for you. Um, And I think Arsenal need to recognise that and, and get it done.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Olympiacos, their opponents tonight in the Europa League and the third and final Premier League club in action is Tottenham Hotspur. They take on Dinamo Zagreb. The home and away leg for this game has actually been flipped. So uh, Spurs, I think, are at home for this one to avoid them playing on the same night as Arsenal. I think it's to do with policing rather than the fact that two sets of supporters could be in North London. Spurs should win this, Callum. I think there's no excuses if they don't, right?
1: Yeah, and I think Jose will surely be targeting this competition because just, I mean, as Marley was talking through it there, I'm looking through the draw. Roma and Shakhtar are taking each other on tonight as well. Those are two potential winning like winners. And you could actually have an all-British quarterfinals or I suppose, semi-finals even with, you know, Rangers have got a very easy draw um, and have been looking pretty phenomenal in Europe as well. And yeah, Spurs, I mean, it's hard to know what to say. Spurs should rule Zagreb over mm-hmm. um, quite easily. And, and if if they don't, that'll become the story, won't it?
3: Yeah, absolutely. It's a good time for Spurs to be hitting form though, Marley. They've been looking good lately, particularly going forward with the likes of Son, Bale, Kane and Lucas Moura. Those four seem to be really clicking and it's a good time with the season coming to an end and the running very much on the horizon.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think uh, the one thing I want to see from Spurs this season is just them continuing to play on the front foot. Um, I think... You know we've all we've all seen what Mourinho can do and what he likes to do and to sit in and try and hit on the counter attack. I think there's no real issue with that against the top sides, but against every every other team, I want to see them dominating. I want to see them passing it, um, dominating possession, creating chances and things like that because they've got the players to do it. Um, and we've seen that sort of in spits and spats in the in the next in the last sort of two or three games with Bale coming back into form. Kane hitting, uh, hitting hitting, two fantastic goals against uh, Crystal Palace at the weekend. Um, and they've certainly got the squad to go on. It's similar to Arsenal. They've got the squad to go on and win this competition. And they've got the manager who knows what it's like to win a big competition and to win the Europa League recently. Because um, it was it 2017 he won it with Man United. Um, so there you go. I mean, it's not and uh, let's be honest it's uh, way into the Champions League as well so you can't ignore this competition it's right there in front of you Zagreb is one of the easier draws you can get they're not a bad team by any means
3: but they're not they're not uh, you know a massive banana skin I don't think Um, no Spurs have to win don't they I mean it's not a must win because it's a 2 leg game but if they lose to Zagreb that's embarrassing yeah I think um,
2: you've you've got to you've, you've got to beat them um you look at the team they've got. I mean, I think Danny Olmo's a good player. Um, is he still there, Danny Olmo I don't even know if he's still there. But um, no, he's at. Uh, did he move? Is he not at Leipzig? No? Oh yeah, he is. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, there you go. There was he was their best mm. player the last few uh, few years, and he's gone. I think um, they have got a big lad up front called mm. Pekovich, but he's pretty immobile, and uh, you know you can, you can mark him out again pretty easily. But Spurs should be. Spurs should be all right. Let's hope they don't spurs it up because i would like to see uh, as callum said i'd love to see man united arsenal tottenham and rangers in the final four that would be a uh,
3: quite a quite an event <laughs> i think as well that just finally on spurs callum we were talking about them putting all of their eggs in this basket and trying to qualify for the champions league via winning the europa league but after recent premier league form they're not that far away from getting back into the top four if they can really string A run of wins together and we've seen teams do that this season in the Premier League
1: well they are they're five points off the Champions League places as it stands at the moment and there's only about 11 games left so I mean you can do the maths I think it's maybe still a slight outside chance especially if Chelsea keep up their good form and so do Leicester and then you've got West Ham and Everton it's sort of in between who are maybe you know I don't know are West Ham going to drop away um it's yeah, it's a, it's a strange time to be a Spurs fan because you're probably more optimistic about next season than you are about this season. But they've also are they not also in the League Cup final, so they could actually yeah. you know they could actually end up with with two trophies this year and finish seventh, um, which would be a remo- I, I think that's just textbook Jose Mourinho isn't it this is kind of uh, yeah what, what he brings he's he's excellent in the cups but then you sort of sometimes feel a little bit short-changed come the end of the season um I think I was gonna say only in a Mourinho season <laughs> could he win two trophies and fans
3: still be disappointed yeah. at the end of it
1: <laughs> exactly I mean I mean he um yeah if I was a Spurs fan just enjoy it and then probably you're looking to next season to really build a challenge especially you know mm. after the thing is after the Euros that will totally change you know which players are exhausted and which players still have a bit of fitness? Because yep. you know, this I think that's something that we've we're kind of not really taking into account is that some of these players that are already playing, you know, twice a week every single week are then going to mm. basically be playing a full tournament, whilst others will actually get a proper break. So I think next mm. season could be weird again in the league, anyway, for the same reasons that, that this season was, but it could be a completely different set of players that benefit.
3: Well, he's been talking up trophies, Jose Mourinho, in his pre-match press conference in what's a landmark year for. Daniel Levy it's the 20th year that he's been in charge of Tottenham Hotspur in terms of owning the club or being the chairman of the club and uh, Mourinho is set to take charge of his 1000th match as a manager later on this season so he's hoping to uh, mark those landmark occasions with a trophy will it be the Europa League they take on Dinamo Zagreb do Tottenham Hotspur tonight in the competitions last 16 and that's it for today's football social daily don't forget we'll have all the fallout of those games uh, tonight on tomorrow's podcast and uh, every single day of the season there's a brand new podcast so why not hit subscribe and that way you won't miss anything we'll also have full Premier League previews and review shows throughout the weekend's top flight action so again hit subscribe and you won't miss those but that's it for today's episode cheers Marley thank you very much Callum cheers guys thanks guys my name's Niall and we'll catch you next time on Football Social Daily
0: Football Social Daily from Sports Social find us on Instagram at Sports Social Official. 18 plus.